Okay, morning everybody. Caught a big snapper yesterday, 50, 58 centimetres, and then Nathan sent me a text message saying he got 159. That's just showing off. <laughs> so I want to share a couple of interesting and kind of weird things with you. Um, uh, had a conversation with a, a, a prophetic man who in, in this context will remain nameless, and, uh, and he, he said, you know, we're just chatting away, and he says to me, does... Um, does Oriwa Beach mean anything to you? And Oriwa, you know, now it's, it's Oriwa, but it was Oriwa back in the day. And I said, actually, Oriwa Beach is where I got born again. That's where I became a follower of Jesus. He said, oh, that's interesting, because I felt to collect some sand from, from there to give to you. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And then he said to me, where? Where on the beach was that? And I said, um, uh, right at the northern end, just before you, you know, as you come down, as you're coming from the north, come over the hill from Hatfields right down the end there. And he said, oh, yeah, just by that, you know, where the river comes out. I said, yeah, exactly there. That's exactly where I became a follower of Jesus. And he said, oh, I was going to collect it from the other end, but the Lord directed me to collect it from that end. And so, um, so that's a little bit of uh, Oriwa. Um, and then we're talking about Marsden's Cross, which is where, you know, for better or for worse, it's the first place that the gospel was preached in New Zealand. And a few years ago, uh, Ken and Alana and some of us, actually, I don't know, if, were you there? No, Ken, you were there, because I remember you jumped out of the, that tree and hit the water and split your pants. <laughs> that was an interesting one, wasn't it? You know, like, it actually truly happened. We were all jumping out of this tree into this, uh, into this um, pond. And, um, and I went, it took me a while, because it was quite high. It was a bit scary. Anyway, Ken, I was down there in the water, and Ken came flying out of the tree. And when he hit the water, there was a bit of a slapping noise. And, uh, and I'm still bobbing around, and, you know, we're all like, woo, that was a good slap. And then he sort of swam over to me quietly and says, I have a small problem. I've, I've split my pants. And so we had to, he had to stay in the water until we could find um, a modest way for him to extract himself from the water. Because there were people everywhere. <laughs> anyway... You're welcome. It's good to it's good to share. It's good to share. Um, but anyway, uh, Ken and I were involved in a baptism of about 330 young adults right there in uh, in the bay there, right in front of Marsden Cross. And um, this friend said he collected some stones from there, and also um, encouraged me to collect some sand from out on the end of Matakana, which is another thing altogether. But God's just up, he's up to some stuff, and um, one, of my, one of my prayers is, God, you can have, you, you can do whatever you like with what's left of me. You know what I mean? Like, when you've been through a, a pruning, you just go, you can do what's, what, whatever you want with what's left, and with what's left of us, with what's left of, uh, of who he has made us to be also. And, you know, that can sound like an incredibly negative thing to say, but actually the strange thing is um, I feel um, more full of fiery hope about what God is doing than I've actually felt before, ever. He's up to something. Um, um, I, I've been greatly bothered by the name Zoe all week. Zoe, there's another Zoe. Um, I've been greatly bothered by the name Zoe all week, in a, in a good way. The, the word Zoe, it's, you know, the name Zoe, it means life everlasting, life connected to God. It's kind of like a, a resurrection forever life. And, um, and it's interesting that um, 
I was talking to your Zoe a few minutes ago, and uh, this week I was, I was talking to someone else about a, a Zoe who's coming to something that we're doing in a little while. And then I, I, know, I know Juliet and Daniel from Tianao, and then they come in with Zoe, who I don't know. And the name Zoe is a, is a bold statement that has to do with what God is doing among young adults. Um, for about the last year, but particularly the last few months, I have been so outrageously, overwhelmingly passionate and burdened about what he's going to do with youth, young adults, and children. I find myself now literally praying over every child in the church by name. You know, before I I couldn't do that because I didn't know all their names, but now I, I do. I go through and I I, like I was, over, I was over visiting a family the other day and, and the kids came home from school and I had been praying for each of those kids and, and it was, I, just, I just about burst into tears when they all came thundering into the house. Listen to this. this. Hope gave me this troublesome book. She gave it to me this morning at five to eight um, as I was about to leave. This, have any of you ever heard of or read Mario Murillo? <laughs> mm. <laughs> I would even say mwahaha about Mario Murillo. I just want to try and read you this, and then I've got a really good message, actually. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. I'm doing my best to get there. Listen to this. This is an encounter he had with the Lord, okay? Uh, by the way, Rex, I totally agree with... Um, prayer that was, I think that was you, was that you, that was you, that I figured it was you, I totally agree. At 3am, the voice of God shook me awake, this is not me, this is Mario Murillo. I kind of wish it was me, but part of me, you you know, it does, but it doesn't. At 3am, the voice of God shook me awake, study the youth culture. Interestingly enough, that's what I've been doing, in fact, I was on a Zoom call this last week with youth, some youth leaders from all over New Zealand. My assignment was not a joy. Research uncovered a world of addiction, despair, and moral confusion that was beyond my strength to absorb. That's exactly how I felt when I got off this call. Many days of this brought me to a horror. One night, my room grew unusually dark. A stench introduced the evil presence. I will, the evil one said, I will have them. I will addict them. I will pervert them. I will kill them. Satan was talking about our children. Just as suddenly, the presence of God flooded the room and swallowed the boasts of Satan. But I will pour out my spirit on them and they shall prophesy. (laughs) That's Zoe. In the midst, I am of the opinion, and I'm... I would be careful about where I say this, but I'm of the opinion now that our children and our young people are in the most toxic culture that has ever existed. It's the most oppressive culture that has ever existed. In fact, I would suggest that the culture in Western countries is more oppressive than in countries we would consider oppressive because at least in like, for example, an oppressive country like an Islamic country, say, they still tell our young people, they still tell young people that you were created by a God, but we tell them you are not created. 
And if you're not created, there is no design. And if there's no design, there's no purpose. If there's no purpose, there's no point. And then we also tell them that the world is heating up and it's going to become an orbiting sarcophagus full of dead remains. No wonder our children are scared and freaked out. But I will pour out my spirit on them, says the Lord. And I believe that we are going to see this. I believe that we are going to see rising from the ranks of our children and our young people the most outrageously powerful, anointed, radical sons and daughters of the living God. And they're not going to be able to tolerate church as a show. They're not going to be able to tolerate... You know, you know what I was thinking about? I was thinking religion is like the, the boring five-knot zone when you launch your boat at Sulphur Point. And you... You know, you've got, a, you've got 150 horsepower hanging off the back of the boat, but for about 10 minutes, you've just got to go out there at five knots, which is really annoying if, the, if it's getting close to the turn of the tide and you want to fish and catch a 58-centimeter snapper. I think you over-measured personally. And yet you're in this five-knot zone, and you're just putting along, and, and you've got this boat that's got, it's got all these horsepower on the back, and it's got, it's got this hull designed to lift up and skim along the top, and yet you just putt, 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 putt. That's religion. But it's such fun when you get to the end, and you can put your, your, your hand on the throttle, and you can push the throttle forward, and there's this, this glorious noise appears from behind you. And, and, and first of all, the nose of the boat goes up, which is what we need to do. We look up. And then the whole thing lifts up and begins to fly along. And it's, it's glorious and it's fun. And I rode a jet ski for the first time in my life last week. I know it's almost sinful, but I didn't like that. I didn't like it. It was fast, but it didn't feel, it didn't feel right to me. You, you know, doing this instead of having a steer, it didn't feel right. So we're not made for the five-knot zone. That five-knot zone, it's, it looks so short, but it takes so long. And that's, that's, we're not made for that. We're made for... The, you know, when I'm puttering out there, I'm using about eight or nine horsepower. And I've got 141 of them sitting on the back doing nothing, waiting to be used. And I think, even, even I think sometimes during the worship, you know, like during that worship time, you know, when, when it's not a massive, you know, booming, thundering thing, sometimes we're a little bit reluctant. But who cares? I don't, I don't want to lose my voice in the cacophony. I, I want to... I want to use, you know, I want to put the throttle down. All right, that's a really good point. Just, don't you just sometimes feel it? Don't you just sometimes feel this thing that just wants to just cut loose? And then you wonder, what will people think? They might think I'm a nutter. A fanatic, perhaps. Okay, radio. I, I should, maybe I should get to this. 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18. You doing all right? Or are you in the five-knot zone? I don't want to preach in the five-knot zone, but it's hard. it's hard to have fellowship with someone in the five-knot zone when you're doing 25 knots. I want to use all 150 horsepower. Yeah. 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is religion. I don't think the objection to that is strong enough. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, freedom. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Now, have you ever noticed this, that when you tell a testimony, 
when you tell a testimony, when someone talks about an encounter with the Lord, when they talk about it, it's like you can somehow feel it. Have you ever had that where they're telling a story about an encounter with the Lord? And while they're telling it, you can just, you, it's like you can feel the anointing that produced the testimony. Does that make sense? How many of you have ever had that? You know, like, you're just like, well, if, you know, let me tell you a few. Back in the day, we used to run these young adults conferences, and we called them Redline. And they were only called Redline. It was a real, it's not a very good name. But we called them Redline because we wanted to go from the flat line to, of religion to the red line of just wild, undomesticated, loving Jesus. These conferences were really crazy. And we were doing one years ago in, uh, in the gymnasium at Willow Park at Eastern Beach. And we had a, somewhere approaching a thousand young adults in this thing. And the worship was going, and we'd had, we had Bobby Connor come out from America, and he was our guest speaker, and, and it was pretty crazy. And I only found this out about five years later, but there was a guy who came to our Holy Spirit-filled crazy youth event uh, uh, to do a drug deal. And the funny thing was, he was in that environment, and he had, he had the drugs that he was selling, and he had arranged to meet someone in the bathroom, but instead of the drug deal going down, when he went out to do the drug deal, he got so convicted by the presence of the Lord that he wound up flushing the drugs down the toilet. And I only found this out a few years later because the drugs clogged the toilet. <laughs> but isn't that funny? So where the Spirit of the Lord was, there came freedom. Both freedom... From Because if a guy is dealing drugs, he's in a bondage. But also the drugs create a bondage. And when the Spirit of the Lord came, it, he brought freedom. Amen. Good. That's a really good point. Amen. Good. Yeah. I'll tell you about another one. Uh, years ago, Tasha and I were at a, a, a youth camp in Eltham in, in South Taranaki. And uh, we were down there for this camp, did it a couple of years in a row. And it was all these young people from all over Taranaki. And the weather was absolutely atrocious. It was an Easter camp, and the weather went NATO. You know what I mean? Like, it was just cold and wet and windy. And so all the outdoor activities just got cancelled, and they just kept coming and saying, well, we have another meeting. You got another message? Got another message? And basically, I really only have one message that you can do four or five different ways, you know? And it was even worse back then. Uh, you know, I only had this message get saved, get filled with the Holy Ghost, and that was it. And I wound up at this camp, no joke, I wound up over the course of a three-and-a-half-day Easter camp, I wound up preaching 13 times. <laughs> By the time we got to the Saturday night, it was like, oh, you know, you could just feel it building and building, and it got to this point where it's like, God is going to break out. And we were in this prayer meeting beforehand, like, wow, this is amazing. And, you know, we get to the Saturday night, we finished Saturday night, and then we're like, what's going to happen on Sunday morning? And we came into Sunday morning and everybody was buzzing, ready to go. And then the worship tanked. Like, you know, we were like, here we go. Woo! And it just went, fell flat. And I was thinking, oh, well, maybe the anointing is going to rest on the preaching. And I preached and it was dreadful. Like it was just, it felt flat. And I'm preaching and going, I must have committed the unpardonable sin. What happened here? And then while I was preaching, first of all, this quite tall man, young man stood up and started manifesting a demon. 
he started roaring and swearing. And so he was back then, we used to, you know, he was escorted out into a side room. So now I'm preaching with coming through the door. You know, that's an interesting thing, isn't it? You know, but, you know, when you've preached a lot to young people, you get used to fighting your way through the distractions. And then another one went off. And this person was taken out. And then in the course of the next 10 minutes, about 15 or 20 all started manifesting demons all at once. So I gave up preaching. And we wound up going around doing all this deliverance, going from, you know, there were, there were people in every nook and cranny having deliverance. Like I remember Tasha was in a room praying for this young lady, and, and this young lady, uh, it, was a, it was probably the weirdest deliverance I'd ever seen. She was sitting there, Tasha was facing the door, I came in quietly, and this young lady was sitting there with her back to me, and without turning around, I came in quietly, this voice, she was speaking with a man's voice, was like, ooh, you freak me out, you know, like it was just, it was all on. For, for about an hour and a half. And so this is this camp. And then, because uh, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Sometimes freedom involves that sort of deliverance. The church has got all, all sort of weird about deliverance. It's like we want to go fishing, but we don't want to clean the fish. Just saying, we've got to cast out demons. That's biblical. Demons still exist even now. In fact, I think there's probably plenty of them. Um, and then what happened was this. <laughs> Sorry. Then uh, when that had finished, things died down. And then the young people, this is 1993. No one's heard of Toronto. 1993. And then all these young people start laughing. Like they're piled on the floor laughing. And every person they touch starts laughing. And, and all the leaders, listen, we've just been casting out demons. So we're all standing in the corner like this going, it's another demon. It's a mocking spirit. We're going to cast that one out too, you know, because that's what we've been doing. We've been doing that for the last 90 minutes. We've been casting out demons. And, and the, the guy in charge, oh, by the way, um, uh, Dave Mann from the Hope Project, he was one of the ones at that camp. And so we're all standing there and there's me and, and Tasha and Dave and, you know, some of these others. And we're like, well, I've got to shut this down. And the guy who was leading the camp, he said, I'm going to go and I'm going to shut this down. This is a mocking spirit. This is out of order. And I just said to him, just wait, 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 wait. I said, we, let's just see. I want to know who's doing that. So I said, I'm going to go and stand in the middle and have them pray for me. Now, even as I tell you the story, I, can, I, 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 don't know, I feel the anointing in my legs, you know, because the anointing that produced the testimony is in the testimony. The Bible says God's works declare who he is. And so they, they were all like, but, 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 but you, if you go in there, you, you might get, you know, deviled. I know I've repeated the story. There's a reason I'm repeating it today. And I said, no, because greater is he that's in me than the one that's in the world. If I go in there, I'm not going to get deviled. They're going to get godded. <laughs> you know what I mean? Not arrogantly, but greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. So I walked into the middle, and the young people were like, oh, here's the speaker. Ah! You know? And they laid hands on me. And within seconds, I was on the floor screaming with laughter, and I knew in an instant, I knew who that was. I knew that was the Lord. I knew it was him. And I know it now as I tell the story and I feel his presence again. My legs are tingling all the way down. It's really weird. I'll just tell you one more. I'll tell you one more. Actually, I'll tell you one more that 
that Juliet and Daniel were in. I think you were both, you were at Mossburn, weren't you? So last year, in the middle of winter, Tasha and Isaac and I went to Tiano. And we were down there for a weekend, and then on the Sunday night, there was an event at Mossburn. I told you about this last year, because Mossburn used to be called Maggoty Blanket Town. That was its literal name. Imagine that, Maggoty Blanket Town. And so we borrowed our friend's car, and we're driving to Maggoty Blanket Town as it's getting dark. We're in the south in winter. You arrive in Maggoty Blanket Town, and there is nothing, like nothing. There's nothing. Everything was shut. We wound up going to this dodgy fish and chip shop to get some chips because we got there early, and there was nothing anywhere. No cars, no people, hardly any lights. And we, after we've been to the chip shop, we pull up in front of this dodgy-looking RSA building. It's, a, it's like a big converted house, and from the outside it looks all dark. And there's hardly, there's no one around. And we walk in, and it's almost standing room only. The place was packed full of young people. And in the middle of Maggoty Blanket Town, in the middle of the Southland winter, Holy Spirit was poured out. By the end of it, there were young people actually being carried out of the meeting and put into the van to go back to Otautau. Hey, is that a true story? You were there too, weren't you, Haley? Were you there? Have I given a true account of that? Then. It was amazing. God just showed up. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Okay, turn your Bibles on or open them to Luke chapter 4. There's a reason I told you those stories. Because the stories, the testimonies, carry the anointing that produce the testimony. And then the anointing coming out of the testimony has the power to produce further testimonies that multiply the anointing. Jared and I agree? We want more of the Lord moving in our lives and in our city, and in particular among our children and our young people. As I was driving up here today, the Lord said to me regarding the children, don't despise the day of small beginnings. He said, even if there is one, you pray for that one as if it were a thousand. Pray for the one exactly the same as you would pray if there were a thousand of them, because God wants a thousand of them. In fact, he wants all of them. And so we pray for one. We pray for, even if there was only one, we pray. We pray for, for Ashley and for Hope and, and, and Isaac, who's out there helping, and we pray that God would anoint them, even if there was one. Luke 4.16. He came to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he opened the book, he found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He's sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. So, as it was his custom, Jesus went into the synagogue, and I've heard one story that each day there was a a reading, there was like a pattern of reading, it wasn't random. 
And so on this particular day, Jesus goes in and it just happens to be his turn. And it just happens to be he comes in and they hand him the scroll or the book of Isaiah. And he reads this. And then the custom was this, like a, a man, when it was his time to read, he would, he would read and then he would make a few comments. Okay, so Jesus reads, then he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Why? They were waiting to see what he would say. What are your comments about this? And he began by saying to them, they'd never heard this before, today... This scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. They'd had this, this passage from Isaiah. They'd had it for like 600 years. No one had ever said that. What's he doing? He's saying right now, right here in front of you, the spirit of the Lord is upon me in fulfillment of that scripture. And Jesus is the prototype and the forerunner for all of us who would follow him. And he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. To do what? Preach the gospel to the poor, not just the financially poor, but to realize all of humanity is poor. We are poor in spirit. We are poor. Even the wealthiest amongst us, we are poor and barren and naked without giving our hearts to Jesus and being born again and made right. Amen? <clears throat> Heal the brokenhearted. The word broken there means the trampled, the crushed. Heal the brokenhearted. Liberty for the captives. Recovery of sight for the blind. Liberty for the oppressed. And to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. So this, Jesus said, this is what the Spirit of the Lord is upon me for. And then the testimony says, follow me. This is what the Spirit of the Lord comes upon us for. So then we go back to where we were. 2 Corinthians 3.17. Now the Lord is the Spirit... And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. We're going to come back and go through it word by word. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. That's not just talking about a church gathering or a home group. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. What is liberty? Liberty from fear. Liberty from bondage, from addiction, from curses, and ultimately, the ultimate liberation, liber liberty from death, liberty from the fear of death, liberty that comes that though, even though we die, yet shall we live. This is our hope of the resurrection. It's authentic liberty, not, not, masquerade, not liberty masquerading, but it's actually bondage. You know, there's a liberty that says, I can do whatever I want with whoever I want to hell with the rules and restrictions and regulations. And actually, that's a pathway to bondage because we start throwing out the moral code, which is not a religious thing or even a legal thing, but actually a design thing. Liberty to live conformed to how God designed us to be. You know, we live in a culture where people express their individuality by starting to look like everybody else. But actually liberty to be who he made us to be and liberty to live before God's eyes of fire, unafraid. 
Forgive me, I've told you the story again, but I'm deliberately giving testimonies today because the testimony, like Lynn's testimony, carries the anointing that produced it. Uh, I became a follower of Jesus, much to my... I often pick on my mum, and I'm glad my mum's here sitting next to my lovely wife. So she can tell you if I'm, if I'm giving you a, a crock here. But I became a follower of Jesus on Orewa Beach on the 17th of December, 1985. Uh, my mum and dad were quite concerned about that. They were not followers of God at that point, and they were a bit worried that I'd become a religious nut. And then they were even more worried when it spread to my sister. And anyway, I've told you the story. Uh, my sister was diagnosed with large cell lymphoma. She was given a very scary diagnosis. And then as a result of a prayer in our lounge at 110 Limbrook Avenue in Blockhouse Bay, uh, she was healed of large cell lymphoma right in front of my unbelieving mum and dad and, and the cat, which I'm pretty sure was also an unbeliever and possibly demon-possessed based on its activity. And then what happened is the gospel began to spread like a virus through our family. The one challenge was Uncle Bill. Uncle Bill uh, was a uh, former, uh, he'd been deported from Australia in the 1960s for being uh, an opium dealer. And he was sent back to New Zealand where he uh, was living with the lady we called Auntie Robin, who was a... Um, she was, she was an exotic dancer, um, among other things. And anyway, I remember reading Acts 16.31, Believe in the Lord, you'll be saved, you and your household. And we'd seen mum and dad respond, seen grandparents respond in their own way. But I remember thinking, what about Uncle Bill? The Lord said, write your testimony in a letter and send it to him. So I did. And I was amazed. What happened when Uncle Bill got that letter? He just gave his heart to the Lord. Now, the crazy thing with Uncle Bill is he had... Forgive me, I know I'm repeating this for some of you, like, oh, you're dragging that out again. But there's an anointing with this, which is related to this. Uncle Bill uh, had been on methadone, which is what they give you if you can't come off something like heroin or opium. They gave him methadone. Three times a week he would go, and he would be dosed with enough methadone, he told us, that it would, they reckoned it would tranquilize a horse. And he had a big... 40-gallon drum in his carport full of all the little glass vials from the methadone that they'd given to him. And he went to the doctor and said, I'm going to come off the methadone. I don't want it anymore. And the doctor said, the withdrawals will kill you. Uncle Bill's response was, I would rather die free than live addicted. And he came off the methadone with no side effects and spent the rest of his life. He married my Auntie Robin. And they became, they became wholehearted believers and they gave the rest of their lives until he went to be with the Lord about 10 years ago, preaching the gospel to the poor, the marginalized, to um, prostitutes and drug addicts and gang members. And that's what they did. That's what they did. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Liberty manifests differently among different groups of people. I just want to cover this quickly and then we're just going to do a quick word study and we're going to bring it in for a landing. Is this, is, this, is this making sense? Is it fun? Are you having fun with this? Okay, thank you. Don't land yet. Okay, we'll keep, we'll keep circling for a little bit longer. Liberty manifests differently among different groups of people. What is it going to look like as the Spirit of the Lord comes upon young people and manifests with liberty? 
It's going to be liberty from shame, liberty from fear, liberty from confusion, liberty from lies they've been told since they were born, liberty from pain, liberty from the filthy, demonic stronghold of self-destruction and suicide, and liberty from pointlessness. I found myself thinking about uh, where God called David in 1 Samuel 16. Remember, Samuel goes to the house of Jesse, lines up all the boys, and he goes through them, impressed with the tallest, and he works his way down, comes to the end of the line, and he goes, all of these the Lord has rejected, and he turns to Jesse and goes, do you have any more sons? And Jesse wasn't there. I've told you this before. Jesse wasn't there because he wasn't treated like a son. He was doing the job of a servant, perhaps to cover up the fact David said of his own life in Psalm 51, in sin my mother conceived me. So perhaps David was kind of like the the dirty little secret in the family. So he was hidden out the back away. He wasn't even invited when the sons were called. Think about that. And God chose him and it said he came in. It makes this interesting comment. He was ruddy and handsome. He was red and handsome. Perhaps he'd been in the sun too long and it was a bit lobsterfied. And he comes in. And the Lord's, you can look it up in 1 Samuel 16. The Lord says, that's him. And so Jesse takes the horn of oil. You know, we do our little bottle with it. Come along with a little, you know. You know, we just do a little bit. He comes along, tips the horn of oil over him. And it says this, the spirit of the Lord came upon David in power right in front of his brothers. The spirit of the Lord is going to come right upon the sons and the daughters, right in the midst of their brothers and sisters. And it's going to offend the living snot out of some people. I've already had, not in this context, but I've already had when I talk like this, I've had people come saying, I hate it when you make it all about the young people. What about me? (laughs) This may offend the mind to reveal the heart especially among the religious community. This is exactly what happened when God poured out a spirit on the hippies in the 1960s. The hippies came into the very churches that had been praying for a revival, and many of those churches shut the doors to them. That can't be it. No, 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 no. Revival doesn't look like that, wearing a tank top with a suspicious-looking cigarette hanging out of its mouth. And then you know what I think is going to happen? What does liberty look like among the parents? See, many parents are disturbed, even terrified by what they see happening in the lives of their children. Would you agree with that? Maybe not necessarily. You might not think that about your own family, but when you look beyond, there's a lot of parents that are really concerned, and rightly so. And and there's a feeling of powerlessness and hopelessness in the midst of what seems like an unstoppable Evil onslaught. This always makes me think about Elijah at the widow's house. And the widow had seen the the flower that wouldn't run out and the oil that kept running. And then the boy died and Elijah raises him from the dead and gives him back to his mother. And she says, now I know that you're a man of God and the word of the Lord in your mouth is the truth. She didn't say that when she saw the flower that kept going and the oil that never ran out. But when she saw her son back from the dead... And I believe that this is also what's going to happen. Because even like my sister, when she was healed, it had an impact on my mum and my dad, who had no intention of becoming followers of Jesus at that point. That would be fair, wouldn't it, mum? She nodded. When the parents and the uncles and aunts and grandparents and great-grandparents of New Zealand 
start seeing their sons and daughters being set free and coming to the Lord, and they st- they're going to start going, now we get it. There is coming a great move of God among the children. Yes. We are going to see five-year-olds prophesying. Yes. We are going to see eight-year-olds laying hands on the sick and miraculous things happen. We are going to see that. We are going to see an unusual grace of worship coming out of children. Psalm 8 verse 2, out of the mouths of babes and infants, you have ordained praise. Why? Because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. There is literally going to be a time, even in contexts like this, where some of the microphones are going to be set like that. Where the children are going to be involved. It's literally, I believe, I, I, Tasha doesn't like it when I say literally, because literally means like written down, and it's not, I'm not too, but literally, it's going to happen. And, and it's going to have an impact, because grandmas and grandpas that, that have got a heart hardened to the Lord, because all they saw was religion or bondage, when the Spirit of the Lord comes upon the children, there's freedom. Yes. So let's just do this. <coughs> We're nearly there. Okay. You right so far? He'll give me eight more minutes. It's only three hands went up. Four, five, six, okay. Nineteen times eight. The Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. I want to look at three terms. Where, Lord, and liberty. Where the Spirit of the Lord is. Where? He's everywhere. Do you understand me? He's everywhere. He's everywhere. Right now, when I move my arm, somehow my arm is moving through the Spirit of the Lord. He is omnipresent. He's everywhere. He doesn't mysteriously appear on Sunday at about quarter past ten. Because he, he couldn't appear at ten o'clock because we're not into it yet. But by quarter past ten, maybe the congregation's warming up. There he like, Mwah. no, he was there. Like when we turned up here at 8 o'clock and, and we walk into the empty room, he was here. When you get in your car, he's there. When you're in your kitchen doing the dishes, he's there. When you're fishing, he's definitely there. <laughs> he's omnipresent. He's everywhere all the time. But this is not what this is talking about. Because if, he was, if his omnipresence brought liberty, then there would be no bondage. But there is bondage. Bluntly, if, if, if the Spirit of the Lord turned up in church gatherings, in a church gathering, there would be no bondage. But there is still bondage. There is still fear. There is still things that weigh heavily on us. There is still things that feel oppressive. What does the where mean? I think it's where he is loved. Where he is treasured where he's acknowledged and accommodated and where there comes a determination in our lives to say, I will not tolerate anything that grieves the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to look at pornography on the internet because I know that grieves the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I had another message written about careless words. The Bible says we're accountable for every careless word that comes out. I heard a careless word last week that flattened me for a half a day. Someone just making a statement about this church. There's no hope in hope. And I thought exactly at a time where suddenly we're looking and going, hey, hang on a minute. 
there's a fresh little flicker pilot light of the presence of the Lord amongst us. That's a careless, an idle, a barren word. It's a word that lacks love because it has no thought for the effect that it might have on somebody else. And also recognize that for what it was. It's a direct, terrified assault of the devil on what God is beginning to do amongst us. So I took it as a good sign after I got through it. <laughs> where he's loved, where he's treasured. And listen, this happens in our homes, in our workplaces, in our gatherings. Where, where? You've got to make your life aware. Your lounge or, or your bedroom or, or your, your, your outdoor table under the plastic roof. You've got to find where. I want your life and I want my life to be aware where the Spirit of the Lord is. Because remember, testimonies carry anointing and anointing produce testimonies. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Where? Are you aware? Is your house aware? Or are you trying to go to the where? Don't go to the where, be the where. Church is not something you go to. Church is something you become. And then when you become it, then you go to the meetings. Be they small or large. large, large the larger gathering like this, the smaller ones in the house. We, we, okay. Number two. So where, number two, the spirit of the Lord is. The spirit of the Lord in some places in Christian churches today in New Zealand, Holy Spirit will be treated like a nothing. He'll be treated like the poor relation within the Trinity. We have God, the awesome Father. And we have Jesus, the amazing Son. And then we have that awkward, bothersome Holy Spirit. I've literally heard people refer to the Holy Spirit as the cringe factor. We don't want the cringe factor in our gatherings. What is the cringe factor? Speaking in tongues, any sort of emotionalism. Heaven forbid that people would fall on the ground or, or shake or be touched by the Lord. See you later. It's all right. They're okay. Listen, here's the third person of the everlasting eternal trinity. He's not inferior. We don't get to treat him like optional extras. You know, they're, they're, like on a boat, there are optional extras. An optional extra might be a, a certain type of canopy or a really flash fish finder. And we treat Holy Spirit like he's that. He's not that. He's the motor. Or if you like sailboats, he's the sail. You can't do anything without him. You can sit there turning the steering wheel and you'll just be drifting with the current. He's everything. He's the whole boat. 1 Corinthians 12, 3, you can't even say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. We don't get to treat him like he's, he's the crazy uncle that turns up at the family gathering and, and does things that we're uncomfortable with. He, he is the, John Arnott calls him, the fire star breathing God of heaven. That when God the Father, through God the Son, the Word said, let there be light. It was God the Holy Spirit who went kaboom and created galaxies. So here's the Spirit of the Lord. He's God. He's not just 
the force. He's not just, oh, do you feel the tingles? He's not just, he's God. Let's establish that firmly. He is God, third person of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, perfect unity. And number three, there is liberty. So where, I want to be aware, the Spirit of the Lord, He is the God, the Holy Spirit. Wherever He is, there is liberty. The word liberty means pardon, deliverance, forgiveness, freedom, and remission. Think about this. For sin and shame, liberty. How many of you have ever done a few rounds with sin and shame? Okay, some of you aren't putting your hands up. I don't believe you. <laughs> Where there are words that brought curses. Liberty. Where there are lies that robbed dignity. Hey, young person, you're not created. You're just a chance evolutionary accident. You started as a piece of snot in a swamp and you became a tadpole and you became a lizard and then eventually you became your great-great-great-great-great-grandmother. Bollocks. Never said that in church before. It's a Hebrew word. That's, that's really, it's really not. Sorry, sorry. I, I, forgive me. I don't, I, if, if that offends you, please don't, I don't want that to become an obstacle to what I'm trying to communicate with you. Kraptos. Use that one. Kraptos. Lies that rob dignity. He comes and he says, liberty. Fear of man and conformity. Liberty. Sickness and the fear of death. Liberty. Religion and bondage. Liberty. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Liberty in my household. Liberty in my heart. Liberty in our city. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Amen? Jason Upton, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. If you're tired and you're thirsty, there is freedom. Freedom reigns in this place. Showers of mercy and grace falling on every face. There is freedom. You want that? Stand up if you're willing to be aware. David, would you stand up with your guitar, please?